0: Chapter 7 of Stories by Foreign Authors, Spanish Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories by Foreign Authors, Spanish Authors. Chapter 7 Bread Cast Upon the Waters by Fernan Caballero. Translated by Mary J. Serrano. Part 1 chapter One, although the villages of the sierras of andalusia owing to their elevation enjoy in summer a milder temperature than those of the plains during the middle hours of the day the sun reflected from the rocks that abound in this mountainous region produces a dry and ardent heat which is more transitory indeed but also more irritating than that of the plains the chief sufferers from its ardours are the wandering reapers who, after finishing the labours of the harvest in their own province, go in search of work to the provinces where the harvest has not yet been gathered in. The greater number of the reapers of the province of Granada go to the Sierra of Ronda, where they are welcomed, and where their toilsome labours are well rewarded, so that they are able to lay by some money, unless indeed sickness that scourge of the poor, prostrates them, and consumes their earnings, or terminates their existence in a more pious age a small hospital for poor strangers was established in bornos which is one of the villages that like a fringe border the slope of the sierra an hospital which remained closed in winter but which in summer received many of the poor reapers who were prostrated by the intense heat and who had no home or family in the village on a hot summer day early in the thirties a woman with a kind and gentle countenance was seated at the door of her cottage in the village above mentioned engaged in chopping the tomatoes and peppers and crumbling the bread for the wholesome nutritious and savoury gazpacho which was to serve for the family supper her two children a boy of seven and a girl of five were playing not far from her in the street as Bornos is almost entirely surrounded by orchards and orange groves planted on the slopes of the table-land on which the village is seated and which at this hour are irrigated by the clear and abundant waters of its springs every breeze brought with it the perfume of the leaves and the melodious strains of the birds singing their evening hymn to the sun filling the air with coolness as if kind mother nature made of her trees a fan to call the brow of her favourite child man the front of the house was already steeped in shadow While the sun still gilded the irregular crests of the mountains on the opposite side of the valley, that like patient camels supported the load of vines, olive groves, and cornfields, confided to them by man, the mother, occupied with her task, had not observed that a poorly clad little boy had joined her children, and that they were talking together. "Who are you?" said the bornos boy to the stranger. "I have never seen you before. What is your name?" "Michael." And yours, Gaspar. And my name is Catherine, said the little girl, who desired also to make the strange boy's acquaintance. I know the story of St. Catherine, said the latter. Oh, do you? Tell it to us. The boy recited the following verses. "Tomorrow morrow will be St. Catherine's Day, when to heaven she will ascend and St. Peter will say, What woman is that who asks to be let in? "'I am Catherine,' she will answer, "'and I want to come in. "'Enter, little dove, in your dove-coat, then.' "'What a lovely story!' exclaimed the girl. "'Do you know another?' "'Look, Catherine,' cried her brother, "'who was eating roasted beans, "'there is a little dead snail in this bean, "'a roasted snail. "'Will you give me some beans?' begged the strange child. "'Yes, here are some. "'Are you very, very fond of roasted beans?' "'Yes, very. But I asked you for them, because I am very hungry.' "'Why, have you had no dinner?' "'No.' "'Nor any breakfast, either?' "'No.' "'Mother, mother!' cried both the children together, running to their mother. "'This poor little boy hasn't had any dinner or any breakfast, and he is very hungry. "'Give us some bread for him.' he has had no dinner you say said the good woman giving the child a piece of bread with that compassionate tenderness which seems innate in women toward children have you no parents then my child yes but they have no bread to give me poor little boy and where are your parents over there answered the boy pointing in the direction of a lane that ran between garden walls at right angles with the street the good woman followed by the children went to the lane on the dry grass with his face turned to the wall lay a man miserably clad and apparently lifeless a handkerchief was tied round his head near him lay a sickle that had fallen from his nerveless grasp seated on the ground beside him was a woman who with her thin cheek resting on her emaciated hand was gazing fixedly at him through the tears that rolled down her sad face as on a rainy day the water trickles down the walls of a deserted ruin. The last rays of the setting sun, lingering in the lane, illumined the melancholy group with a light tender and sorrowful as a farewell glance. Approaching the stranger, the good woman, whose name was Maria, said to her, Signora, what is the matter with your husband? He has a fever that is killing him, answered the stranger, bursting into sobs. "'Holy Mary!' cried the mother of the children compassionately. "'And why don't you let people know about it and ask them to help you? "'Are we living in a heathen land, then?' "'I don't know anyone in the place.' "'No matter. For a neighbourly act, acquaintance, isn't necessary. "'What is this poor man to be left alone, to die as if he were among the moors? "'Not if I can prevent it.' At this moment a man with a strong, calm, and kind face approached the group father father cried the children this man is dying and this little boy who is his son says he has no bread to give him john joseph added the mother of the children this poor man is lying shelterless here this is pitiful if you are willing let us carry him into the house and send for the doctor willing of course i am willing answered the husband i have never yet refused my help to any one in need of it god be praised there has always been a corner in my kitchen for the poor and especially for those who are looking for a shelter for the night who are on a journey or who are sick and such food as i had i have always shared with them don't you know that wife come then said the latter let us lift him up john joseph i'll take hold of him by one arm and his wife can take him by the other they did as she said one of the children took the sickle another the hat the third a small shabby bundle of clothes and all went toward the house a sheepskin and a pair of sheets were spread over one of the thick reed mattings which served the labourers in the farm and vineyards as beds and the sick man who remained sunk in a profound stupor was placed on it while gasparito who was told to fly ran for the doctor when the latter came he pronounced the patient to be dangerously ill and prescribed various medicines which were administered to him with that zeal and intelligence in caring for the sick that is one of the many prerogatives of the sex called the fair, but which might with much more propriety be called the pious sex. After the medicines had been administered and he had been bled freely, the patient seemed somewhat better, and sank into what seemed a natural and beneficent sleep. And then, and not until then, did the family think of their supper the refreshing and nutritious gazpacho and the fruits so abundant in the country and of which the people frugal refined and elegant even in their material appetites are so fond chapter two it is needless to say that those first called to partake of the mess as the master of the house who had been a soldier called it were the strange woman and her son "'And what part of the country are you from?' said John Joseph to his guest, as he offered her a slice of a magnificent watermelon, which sparkled like a garnet in the light. "'From Trevelés in the Alpujarras,' she answered. "'I was there when I served the king,' responded John Joseph. "'Those are poor villages. Trevelés is a village overhanging the ravine of Pokira.' that is true replied the poor woman whose sorrowful face brightened a little at the recollection so dear to the heart of the place where she was born and where her home was and by the same token continued john joseph you can see from there the peaks of mullah hasim and velita that don't reach the sky because the almighty wouldn't let them and not because they didn't try and why do they call that peak the velita a weather vane, john joseph is it because it has one on it if it has i never saw it it has none now said the stranger but it had one in former times when moors and christians were fighting one another through the mountains it was guarded by an angel who kept it pointed towards spain and then the christians conquered but if he neglected his task the devil came and made it point towards barbary and then the moors conquered but in spite of all the devil could do we drove them out yes and we would have done it if there had been ten times as many of them said the ex-soldier and were you ever on those peaks said the mistress of the house to her guest i was never there myself answered the latter but my manuel has been there a hundred times once he went there with an englishman who wanted to see them between the two peaks there is a ravine that is full of water and that is a cauldron that the demons made from the middle of it come strange sounds that accords by a hammering of the demons mending the cauldron the whole place is a desert full of naked rocks and so awesome and solitary that the englishman said it was like the dead sea a sea that it seems there is in some of those far-off countries oh mother and why did it die asked the girl how should i know answered the mother father said the girl repeating her question Why did that sea die? Did the moors kill it? What a question, returned the father, who did not wish to confess his ignorance of the matter, as his wife had done. It died because everything in the world dies, even the seas. And is the whole mountain like that? asked Maria. No, for lower down there are trees, chestnuts, oaks and shrubs, and some fine apple-trees planted by the moors, whose fruit is sent to Granada to be sold. And I was told, continued John Joseph, that there are wild goats there that run faster than water down a hill, that leap like grasshoppers, and that are so sagacious that they always station one of their number on a height to keep watch, and when danger is approaching he strikes the rock with his foot, and then the others scamper off and disappear like a flight of partridges. That is all true, responded the guest, and there are owls there, too, a kind of birds with wings and a human face. What is that you are saying, Senora? said John Joseph. Who ever saw such birds as those? My Manuel has seen them, and every one who has ever climbed up those heights. And you must know that the owls and the mountain goats have been there ever since the time when Jesus was in the world. He came to those solitudes that were then shady meadows in which tame and handsome goats browsed, watched by their shepherds. The Lord, who was tired, entered a goat herd's hut and asked the herds to prepare a kid for supper for himself and st john and st peter who were with him the goatherds who were wicked moors said that they had none but the lord insisted and then what did those heartless wretches do they killed a cat cooked it and set it on the table but the lord as you may suppose who sees into all hearts and knows everything that is going on however secret it may be thought knew perfectly well what the herds had done and sitting down at the table he said, If you are a kid, remain fried, but if you are a cat, jump from the plate. Instantly the animal straightened itself up and ran off. The lord, to punish the goat-herds, turned them into owls and their flocks into wild goats. At this moment a moan was heard. They all hurried to the sick man's bedside. His improvement had only been momentary. The fever, caused by a cerebral attack, had reached its height and in a few hours terminated his life without his having returned to consciousness for a single instant it is an easy matter to describe a violent and noisy grief which rebels against misfortune but it is not easy to describe a profound silent humble and resigned grief the poor widow who had lost everything even the strength to work raised her eyes to heaven clasped her hands and bowed her head while her life which her chilled heart was unable to maintain slowly ebbed away she was not sent away by the kind and charitable people who had sheltered her but she knew that she would be a heavy burden upon them and although she was submissive to the will of the lord she prayed to him to grant her a speedy and contrite end as a release from all her sufferings and the lord granted her prayer one night she saw with ineffable joy the bed on which she lay surrounded by kind devout and compassionate souls the house was lighted up an altar stood in front of her humble cot on which she saw the image of our lord to whom she had prayed with arms opened to those who call upon him every one brought flowers those universal interpreters of human feeling which enhanced the splendour of the most august solemnities and lend poetry and beauty to the gayest festival and which as if they were angels gifts are found like these in the hut and in the palace in royal gardens and in the fields a bell sounded in the distance that with its silvery voice seemed to say here cometh the lord who giveth a peaceful death and thus it was for when the solemn act of receiving the last sacrament was ended The sick woman raised her eyes, in which a gleam of her lost happiness shone. "'I am leaving this valley of tears,' she said in a faint voice, "'and through the mercy of God I am going to his presence "'to ask him to watch over this poor boy, this poor orphan.' "'Orphan, did you say?' cried John Joseph. "'Don't you know, then, that he is our son?' The dying woman leaned her pale face against her son's forehead, on which a tear fell, and said to him, child of my heart pay to our benefactors your own debt and that of your parents as for me i can only pray to god that he will bless them as i bless them john joseph said the priest the blessing of the dying is the most precious legacy they can leave to those who survive them chapter three in eighteen fifty three gaspar and michael who had grown up together like two brothers had arrived at the age of manhood and they were as honest and industrious as the father who had guided them catherine was a beautiful girl as modest and as diligent as the mother at whose side she had grown up michael who had a noble and affectionate and consequently a grateful heart loved the family who had adopted him with ardent affection but especially did he love catherine for whom he felt all the affection of a brother joined to all the tenderness of a lover toward her whom he desired to make the companion of his life many days of tranquil happiness were enjoyed by these united and worthy people but as happiness like the blue of the sky cannot be lasting for the earth to yield its fruits requires the rain and man to estimate at their true value this life and the next has need of tears a time came in which many were shed in this house to prove to his inmates that God bestows this blessing, almost preferably on the poor and the righteous. The draft was proclaimed, and both sons were enrolled for the drawing. Those who know how passionate is the affection which the mothers of the people have for their children can understand Maria's inconsolable grief. She believed that she loved both sons equally. She feared for both, with the same anguish, with the same fervour she prayed to god and to the virgin that both might escape the draught but when they returned from the drawing and she heard that the soldier's lot had fallen on her own son the cry which this intelligence drew from her mother's heart child of my soul i knew that it must fall upon you showed that a mother's love can be equalled by no other michael saw maria's grief with a breaking heart a grief which not all his own efforts nor those of her husband could diminish or soothe. On the following day, John Joseph took his son to the barrack. But what was the astonishment of both when the commandant told Gaspar that he was free and that he might return home? "'Free?' cried Gaspar in amazement. "'And why?' "'Because you have a substitute,' answered the officer i said gaspar with ever-increasing astonishment why that can't be so why do you say it can't be so if the substitute is already accepted and enrolled it is so but who is he asked gaspar amazed that young man there answered the officer pointing to the man whom his parents in their beneficence had brought up as a son michael what have you done exclaimed gaspar strongly moved what my mother charged me on her deathbed to do, answered Michael. I have paid a debt. You owed me nothing, answered Gaspar. But I now owe you a debt, and God grant me the opportunity to pay it, brother. If the occasion presents itself, you may be sure I will not let it pass. That I will not. Chapter 4 two years after the events just recorded a still greater sorrow befell this worthy family so united and so affectionate as the families of the peasantry usually are michael drew the lot in the second conscription as gaspar had done before and as he was thus obliged to serve on his own account the son of his adopted parents whom he could not now serve as a substitute was once more called to the ranks four years more passed and just when they were expecting michael home his time of service having expired and while catherine was preparing her wedding garments a cry uttered by the queen of spain resounded through the country electrifying the people and producing a universal outburst of patriotic enthusiasm long live spain death to the moor who has insulted her this cry was re-echoed throughout the length and breadth of the peninsula accompanied by the clash of the warrior's sword and the chink of the rich man's gold offered on the altar of the country's honour it was repeated by the people who gave their blood by the sacred episcopate who blessed the cause of the country and of christianity and whose words powerfully influenced not only timid and pious consciences but all by their wisdom prudence and judgment the sisters of charity offered their devoted services The nuns made lint and sacred scapulars of the Virgin. The ladies also made lint and bandages, which they moistened with their tears. And even schoolboys, fired with enthusiasm, asked to be allowed to go to the popular war against the Moors. Note, this assertion may be proved by many examples, but it will suffice to transcribe here a letter written by a nephew of mine, the son of Marquis C. Quote, Senor Governor, although I am only a boy of eight, I am moved to say to you that I would like to die for the country, and that, being fond of military things, I wish you would permit me to go fight the Moors. Written by P. P. End quote. It is to be observed that this boy is docile and gentle and modest in disposition, rather than daring or arrogant. Note of the author. End note. Michael, who shared in the general enthusiasm for the war, on receiving his discharge, enlisted again, refusing to accept the premium for re-enlisting for such time as the war in Africa should last. John Joseph, who in winter followed the occupation of a muleteer, brought home this news on his return from one of his trips in which he had seen his sons, who were both serving in the king's regiment in Africa. Maria, on hearing it, burst into tears they were right in saying last year when the saddle-shaped comet appeared that it came to foretell a war with the moors she exclaimed disconsolately the comet had no resemblance to a saddle answered her husband with martial ardor you know very well that what they said was that it was the same star that had guided the kings who went to bethlehem to declare that christ was the true messiah "'Very well. Our people will go to the Moorish country now "'to tell them that Spanish Christians are tired of putting up with the atrocities "'and the insults of the accursed Moors. "'But a great many people will be killed in this war, John Joseph, "'and that is heartbreaking to think of. "'Yes, heartbreaking, although you, with your warlike notions, say it is not. "'Oh, yes, you would like this war to be like a war between women, "'a war to the knife, but without anyone killed.' well war with those who use a beard and especially if they wear the king's uniform and have the flag of spain under which they are fighting to defend is another matter with them the question is to conquer or die for that very reason replied maria disconsolately couldn't he have come back and stayed quietly at home after he had fulfilled his duty yes like you at the spinning-wheel but you must know that no new sailing vessel ever yet wanted to be a pontoon "'Don't you know that?' Maria and Catherine kept on crying. "'If you had even told me that you were going to see them,' said the former, "'I would have given you some scapulars to take to them. "'They have them already, they have them already, "'and blessed by the Bishop of Malaga. "'I told you before, wife, that this war is a holy war, "'which will rejoice St. Ferdinand in heaven. "'But you are in a crying humour, it seems.' he added impatiently seeing that his wife and daughter were still shedding tears why what would you have that they should remain here like women instead of going to throttle those accursed moors who don't believe in christ who deny his holy mother and who call the spaniards hens and christian dogs but let them wait a bit and i'll warrant they won't want a second taste of the broth whose hens will make them they never catch a spaniard even in time of peace that they don't quarter or impale him you see that makes every spaniard's blood boil i don't know how i can contain myself that i don't go too for i tell you that the soles of my feet are itching to go and the day you least expect it i'll take my gun and my blanket and join the camp john joseph in the virgin's name isn't it enough to have your sons there would you leave us entirely alone it wouldn't be for long hush hush god only knows how long it will be for those people are in their own country defending their homes and you know that they are ferocious savage fearless and valiant that they are but as far as being fearless and valiant is concerned we spaniards are more so and god knows what hunger and privation they are going to suffer don't imagine it but even if it should be so give the spanish soldier plenty of water to drink and he has all he needs Why, the joy of that regiment, as they went on board, was plain to see, and to think that I couldn't have gone with them. John Joseph in the Virgin's name, don't indulge in those boyish explosions. Remember, you are sixty-five years old. Today I am twenty, wife, I am twenty. Do you hear? Your fiery spirit deceives you, and I won't hear you talk about going to the war, when you have two sons in it already. And if I have more sons, they should be in it, too do you think that i should be behind the father of the first soldier killed in the taking of the serayo who when he heard of his son's death called another son took him to the alcalde of his village and said my son has been killed in the war in africa here is another to take his place from what you say i shouldn't wonder if you had urged michael to go to the war michael didn't need any urging michael has done well and so i told him go without fear i cried to him as i came away The weather-vane in your village points for Spain, and don't lose heart, if there should be some reverse, for reverses there must be in war, unless it be by a miracle of God. But many there won't be, and the devil will have little chance to get at the weather-vane at the peak of the Alpujarras. For the one who has charge of it now is an archangel, your patron saint, Michael, and the patron saint of Spain, and he won't neglect his business, and he knows how to keep the devil at a respectful distance. End of section 7.